why do we do the things we know we shouldn't? And we know the consequences may be really dangerous, but we still do them. Why do we do that? If you ask, what is the biggest problem the world is facing today? Some people would say wars. People are dying around the world and there are conflicts everywhere. So that is the major, that's the main problem facing the world today. Or some people would say poverty. There is poverty in the world today. Others will say racism. Or let's say racial divisions, depending on where, where, where you live. Some people will say racism is bad, is really a bad thing that is affecting the world today. And others will say political divisions. Some people will blame conservatives. No, it's all the fault of conservatives. And some people will say, no, it's about progressive. Those liberal people are destroying the world. And everybody has got their opinion about what is going on today and what is the reason for it. Or others will say definitely it's climate change. It's the most existential threat we are facing today. And we all have different opinions on what we believe to be the biggest problem humanity is facing today. And it's okay to hold your opinion, but remember... I believe that all these problems can be solved in one day if only we deal with the actual existential threat we are facing as the world. Sin is our biggest problem. And we will never solve humanity problems unless we deal with sin. Look at all of them. Look at all of them. Look at racism. Look at all the problems, wars and all that. You will look at them and see sin at the core. At the root of it. Sin is there. All the problems you are going through could be solved in one day if only you deal with sin in your life. All of them. And I mean all. All. So, what is sin? How does it impact us and how to deal with it? Sin has been simplified into a religious con concept that only religious people talk about. But in reality, sin is not religious. Sin is not religious. The idea of sin is universal. You don't need to go to church to understand sin. Sin is a human condition. To understand human nature, you need to understand sin. To understand people and how they function, you need to understand sin. So let's try to define sin. The word sin is translated from Greek word hamatia or hamatia. And the Hebrew word kata. They are defined as failing to meet the standard or missing the mark. Failing to meet the standard or missing the mark. Everyone fails to meet the standard. We all miss the mark. So it's a human condition. We all miss the mark. But what is the standard? And who decides what the standard should be? How do you know that I've missed the mark? What is the mark? How do you know the standard so that you can, you can tell when you are falling short? Who decides the mark? How do we know we've missed it? James chapter 3 verse 16 says, For 
where there is envy and selfish ambitions, there is disorder and every evil practice. Or other translations will say, there is sin. Where there is envy and selfish ambition. According to James, sin is rooted in selfishness. So, stay with me please. Listen to this. Sin is rooted in selfishness. We were not created to live for ourselves. We were designed to live for God and others. Failing short of the mark is failing to live for God and others. When you fail to live for God and others, you fall short. Sin is a failure. Is a failure. That's why half of the Ten Commandments addressed how we can fall short of loving God. How we can miss the mark in our relationship with God. And half of them addressed how we can fall short of loving others. They're divided into two groups, the Ten Commandments. Half of them talk about our relationship with God and half of them talk about our relationship with people. God gave the law to expose sin as a human condition. To expose it. The purpose of law was not to fix the people of Israel, but to expose their departure from God's standard. The law was not given to fix their behavior, to fix them. It was given as a mirror. When they look at the law, they look, they see themselves, they see how dirty they are. The law was given as a mirror to expose the human nature. Because the law did not fix them. And this is where we get it wrong because we think pleasing God is following a set of rules. Ah, we will get there. Stay with me, stay with me. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely, absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. Do you get that? Without the law, Paul would not know what was sin. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said do not covet. So the law informed him Oh, you have fallen short. The law did not create sin. Again, some people get that wrong. They think, oh, it's because of law. That's why we are sinners. Because the law came to show how sinful we are. Therefore, the law created sin. No, 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 no. The law did not create sin. It came to expose our sinful nature. Not to create it. Everyone is influenced by the desire to do what is forbidden. Everyone. All of us. There is something in us that calls us to do something we know we should not do. It's just there. There is the power that influences us to touch things we know we should not touch. To go places we know we should not go. It starts from childhood. Stop. Stop. 
trying to touch things they are not supposed to touch. It's new human nature to say things we know we should not say. To think about things we know we should not. <sighs> That's human nature. So the law was given to expose our failure to meet the standard because no one met the standard of the law. Everyone lived under the condemnation of the law. So sin is not what you do. Sin is a condition. It's a condition. It's not a behavior. It's a state. Behaviors are just symptoms of that condition. So I'm not saying behaviors are not sinful, but sin itself is a condition, is a state. And then your behavior reflects if you have that condition. Ah, that's why you are doing those things, because you have that condition. Genesis 4, 7. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Desire is for you, but you must rule over it. When you look at this scripture, God is describing sin to Cain as an entity. A creature or a spirit crouching at Cain's door. At Cain's door. Once you open up to it, it leads you to self-deception, to selfish desires that compel you to act for your own benefits at the expense of others. God warned him, told him, sin as an entity, it's not a behavior. It's not the behavior. It's waiting for you to do it. Once you just open that door, it will enter you and it will destroy you. God warned him, and he felt he opened the door for it. Paul describes sin as the power that enslaves us and lives in us. Not an act, not a behavior, but a power. A power. Romans 7.20 For if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it. But it is the sin that lives in me. Oh. So you become powerless because there is another power in you making you do things you don't want to do. It's a power. We all desire what is forbidden. And what is forbidden is always selfish. Sin is not just doing bad things. So wait for me. Even if your actions don't feel bad, they can be sinful if rooted in selfishness. Even if your actions are, you, you don't feel like they are bad, but if the motive is selfish, they can be sinful. So how to overcome sin? Let's talk about how to overcome sin. How to overcome sin. Romans 8, 1 to 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 1 begins with, therefore. Therefore means in chapter 7, Paul described his struggle with sin. He's talking about he was influenced by the desire to do what was forbidden. Therefore, indicates that 
This sentence is the continuation of that thought. He was telling us how he really struggled. He was trying to do what's right, but he did what was bad. He was trying to do what's right, but he did what was wrong. He, he was miserable, caught into the power of sin. So now he starts verse 8 with this statement, with, with this word, therefore, I continue with my story. He says that the problem was with the law. Because the law exposes our sinful condition without fixing it. So he says, now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? If sin is falling to meet the standard, every time you fail, you create a gap between expectation and reality. Failing to meet the standard, that means Whenever you are supposed to hit 10, if you hit 4, that gap there, that gap, that's what the law tells you, you've, you've fallen short of 6 or 4. Of every time you do something, the law reminds you that there is a gap between what you are doing and what you are meant to do. That's what the law does. But it does not cleanse you. It does not remove it does not fix the problem. It does not fill the gap. It does not fill the gap. It just informs you of the presence of the gap. But what Paul is saying here is, there is no more condemnation. That means the gap has been filled. But for Paul is saying, Jesus has filled the gap. Every time I try to do what's good, I can hit two, I can hit five, I can hit four. But for me to get to ten, Someone is filling the gap. Jesus is filling the gap for me. I don't live under condemnation anymore. That means I'm not living under the awareness of the gap. Because Jesus has filled the gap. No more condemnation. No more highlights of the gap. What the law was doing was to inform us of the gap. What Jesus is doing is to tell us no more gap. There's no more condemnation. Condemnation is awareness of the gap. No more condemnation is the gap has been filled. Is that simple? Beautiful. Beautiful. The more knowledge of the law you have, the more, the more sinful you discover you are. Have you discovered that? The more you know of the law, the more sinful you discover you are. But being unaware of the law does not make you innocent. Uh, because I knew some people say, okay, from today, no more reading the law. No more reading the law. I don't want to be aware of my... Ah, no. Innocence is not found in ignoring the law. Leviticus 5.17. If someone sins and without knowing it, violates any of the Lord's command concerning anything prohibited... He is guilty. Oh, let me say, she is guilty. And she will bear her iniquity. <laughs> the law was created to highlight the gap, not to create it. We were already sinners. But when the law was given, we, got, we became aware of the gap. 
So without the law, you are still a sinner. Without knowing the law, you are still a sinner. But when Jesus came, when he says no more condemnation, it means, oh, I've filled the gap for you. And we will talk about what that, that means. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Not beside Jesus. Not behind Jesus. Not in front of Jesus. Inside. You will understand why inside Jesus. You need to be in him. Not around him. Not knowing something about him. To be in him. To be found in him. Doesn't mean we try hard. It means Jesus has done it. It doesn't mean we are disciplined. It means Jesus has done it. And I, I want you to keep that in mind. Then he says, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul does not struggle with sin anymore. Not because he tried harder, but because there is a law that has replaced another law. So this is, where I, this is what I want you to take home. Please don't forget this. We sin because there is a power. There is an entity that is active in us. There is power that he is calling the law. This law here is not commandment. So the, the term, the word law is being used here that can confuse us. The law in this verse is not about commandment. It doesn't mean mosaic law, the law of Moses. No. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is not opposite to the law of Moses. Why? Because Jesus did not come to cancel the law. He came to fulfill it. You understand? So there is no way there will be replacement. There's no replacement. That is the bad interpretation of this passage. Paul is not saying the law of life in Christ came to, came to cancel the law of Moses. So it's not that law we are talking about here. The law of sin and death describes a certain constancy of uniform and fixed operation under the dominion of which humans are struggling. It's that power, that force. Like the law of phys in physics, we have laws. Like gravity is the law. You can't avoid it. It keeps pulling you down. It's a law. This is the kind of law we are talking about. It's a force. It pulls you down. It forces you to do things. It forces you to think in a particular way. It forces you to go in particular places. It forces you to say certain things. It forces you to desire selfish stuff. It forces you to act against God and others. That is the law of sin and death because it leads to death. So the law can only be replaced by another law. You cannot cancel a law by self-discipline. You cannot cancel the law. You cannot fix the law by punishment. You cannot fix the law by legislation. You cannot change the law. You cannot fix this by legislation. You can't fix it. This kind of law we are talking about, it requires another law. And that's why Jesus brought the law of life, spirit of life in Christ, which is a force. It is a force that came to cancel the power of another force. Are we together, church? 
They are not words. They are not commandment. There is no one commandment that came to replace another commandment. There is a force, a power that came to replace another power. One power forces you to sin. Another power releases you from the power of sin. The law of sin operates in every human being. Every one of us desires things that are forbidden. Someone said, you cannot legislate against stupidity. In other words, you cannot legislate against sin. You cannot. People will continue to sin. It doesn't matter how many police officers, officers, officers you put on the street. People will sin. Will continue to sin. We are all stupid in one area or the other. You know, some are publicly stupid. We know them. Don't look at them. Don't. Just keep looking at me. Some people are publicly stupid. And others are good at hiding their stupidity. So we are all stupid, but some people we can see, oh, this one is one of us, but mm, at least people don't know I'm one of them. <laughs> we call them civilized. Yeah, people, people who sin without showing they are civilized. They just do it in calm, you know, slowly. They, they are, they are, their sins are part of the legislation. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Only Jesus can cure stupidity. We do the things we know we shouldn't because we are under the law of sin and death. So let's go to Romans 6, 8 to 11. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him for the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Death is the only way out of the control of sin. For as long as you are alive, you are under the power of sin. There is no any other way out. There is no exercise or diet or medicine that can rescue you from the power of sin. There is no personal coach who can, or motivational speaker who will get you out of sin. No. Only death can rescue you from sin. It is what it is. We open the door to sin. God warned us, but we did it. But when you put your faith in Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus is imputed on you. This is a very important part in scripture. You are automatically dead to sin and alive to God through the Holy Spirit who comes to live in you. So you don't need to die for yourself because Jesus has died for you. Your faith, when you believe he has done it for you, you are automatically found in him on the cross. That's what it means that Jesus died for us. It means when he died on the cross, he said everyone who will believe I've done this for them will be included in this death. And my resurrection. That's why Paul said, 
in Christ. Not at Christ, not on Christ, not by Christ, not with Christ, in Christ. When you believe in Christ, that he died for you, you are included in his death. And you are included in his resurrection. That's the power of this scripture. You don't need to die for your sins, but you are now dead to sin. So Paul finishes the verse 11 by saying, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He has explained how Jesus died. And then he says, Jesus has conquered sin. But only if you, you are found into Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you believe what he did for you, you are automatically found in his death and resurrection. And Satan will make us doubt this over and over and over. We don't always believe we've died with him and we came back to life with him. Because if you believe that, you are saved. You are saved. If you believe you died with Christ, Jesus is done. Because death is the only way out from sin. So now, let's say this together. We'll repeat this together. I, Mike, I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We'll repeat this together. Put your name there. I dot, 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 dot. I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's go. One, two, go. I, Mike, I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Say it as if you mean it. One, two, go. I, Mike, I'm dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is important for every Christian to remember. So let's talk about how this happens. How do we get saved? How do we get saved? I know that we are still in the world. I know that. But let's talk about the kind of salvations that we go through. Jesus came to save us from the consequences of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. When someone asks you, what are you saved from? You said you are saved, but you are still like me. I see you on the street. Sometimes even I look better than you, and I don't have Jesus in me. Tell them, I've been saved from the eternal consequence of sin. I've been saved from the power of sin, and I've been saved from the presence of sin. Let me explain what it means. Saved from the consequences of sin. Romans 5, 9 to 10. How much more then, since we have now been justified by the blood, by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, with, will we be saved by his life? From the moment the sinner repents and receives Jesus Christ, she or he is saved from the eternal consequences of sin. You have eternal life and you are no longer a candidate to eternal damnation, which is hell. You have eternal life in you. That's the first benefit. That's the first thing you are saved from that we all talk about most of the time. You are saved from the consequence of sin. 
But the second thing is we are saved from the power of sin. Romans 6, 6 to 7. For we know that our old self, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. It takes death to be free from sin. All who receive Christ receive the power to say no to sin. We have it. Without Christ, you are naturally bound to sin. Without Christ. With Christ, you can say no to sin. Because that entity, that entity has no more power in you. With Christ. When you are found in Christ, that entity loses power. But look at what happens. When you, the time, the moment you receive Jesus, you, you declare that you are, follow, you are a follower of Christ. There are things that happen automatically. You receive eternal life automatically. But you still, your mind is still the same. Your body is still used to the same things you used to do. So there is a process we call sanctification. To take you from a sinful behavior, behaviors, a sinful way of thinking, mindset, and Paul calls it renewing of mind, of your mind. To where God wants you to be like Christ. Christ is the only person who lived for God and others. That's why he's ne he never sinned. Because everything he did was for God and others. So for you to go from where your selfish self to a Christ-like life, you go through sanctification. So I, I, I will explain this. I've done this before, and I think some of you have seen it before somewhere. So let's look at this. Okay, this is you and your life in your sinful nature. You're full of sin. You're full of sin. And then you give your life to Jesus. You receive the power over sin. But sin is still, you know, it's still around you. It's still, it's still around. So whenever you hear the word of God, whenever you read the word of God, there is one thing that is needed from you. Not just to hear it, but to obey it. When you hear it and obey it, it starts to transform you. The more intake, the more you take in you, the less of sin you have. The more you take inside you, the more of the word of God is the only thing that transforms. But the word of God in you should be activated by obedience. Obedience to the word of God activates. And you know what? Every Christian has the power to obey. Because we are no longer slaves to sin. Mm -hmm. You read the word of God, but there are still things you are struggling with. You see that? After one year or two, there are still things you are struggling with. Your life is not yet as Christ. Christ is here. <laughs> Pure. But you are still growing. So it's okay. It's okay. You can still see yourself making mistakes. And, and this journey continues in your life the more you obey. So when you disobey God, you, you, are, you are delaying your own 
your own growth. You are delaying your own process of sanctification. Every time you hear the word of God, it cleanses you. The ability to obey is there for you to be sanctified. And the more you obey, because you can, the more God is transforming you, the more you are being transformed, the more you are becoming more, 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 more like Christ. Because the more you obey, the more you are sanctified. Let me leave it here because I don't think we'll reach complete sanctification on earth. Let me be honest. Maybe that's where Doug is. You need more. You've made some progress, though. Made some progress. Yes. <laughs> but because we live in the sin- sinful world, we are still surrounded by sin. There will be some, some of the colors around. There will be some of the colors in us. And that's why we will be saved from the presence of sin. Ah. That's why at the end we'll be saved from the presence of sin. So our life on earth is to be transformed. To be transformed so we can bring others. So we can help others to be transformed. That's our mission. To be transformed and bring others to the transformation. But we know the process is not ending here. We know the process will end one day when we get saved from the presence of sin. That means the desire to do what is forbidden will be defeated forever. Sin will be defeated. It will be taken away. So you won't fit. That entity will be conquered, taken away from you, taken away from the world. And we, we will start to live a life in full presence of God. So we'll become pure, 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 pure like Christ. Revelations 22, 3. And there will, no, there will no longer be any curse. Any curse, not, no sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servant will worship him. That day is coming when sin will be forever 